I left construction, I went into investing. And I know a lot of construction people that have left and went into construction tech. In theory, I still say they're in construction and trying to help solve the construction problem. But what that leads to is like a lot less people out on the construction sites actually managing the work. And if this continues, if we continue down this path, like who's actually going to build stuff, right? Like prefab and modular isn't going to be fast enough to catch up with, I would say, like, you know, the growing need for construction. And I just kind of see this situation where we just don't have enough labor on site to build stuff. Hey, everyone. Owen here from the Bricks and Bias podcast, interviewing the key players in the construction and property tech industries. How do you go from working in the construction industry to becoming a venture capitalist? Today, we speak with Alice Lung of venture capital investment firm Brick and Mortar Ventures. Alice talks to us about the construction industry as an investment opportunity, the current trends, and brick and mortar specific strategy when it comes to startups. If you're enjoying our show, please give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. You are listening to Bricks and Bytes Podcast, where we take you on a journey in construction, technology, and business. All right, let's get this episode started. How did you get to where you are right now? Yeah, so I worked in construction for a number of years, mostly on the operation side. So was out on the construction sites, managing scopes of work. I've probably touched every scope of work out there from a you know, management perspective or, you know, collaborating with other team members. And when I entered the industry, it was when BIM and VDC was just starting to become a thing that was a little bit more widely adopted. So I really love the idea of BIM, building things virtually first before building it physically. So having the ability to kind of find all of the issues before actually putting labor and material on site to do it. So because of that, like interest in BIM and VDC, and we've also seen this with how the industry has changed over time, a lot of the BIM and VDC people gravitate towards technology. So then you end up just like, you know, learning about all of these different technologies as it relates to project management, financials, you know, all the digital forms and stuff like that. So my role within DPR was always in operations, but my interests continue to grow with the, I guess, increasing construction technology startups in the space. So I worked really closely with a lot of the startups kind of back in the day. And I think that kind of connected me with a lot of other people that were working in industry, but interested in tech. And we've kind of, you know, continued keeping in touch with all those people. And over time, I think it got to a point in my career where I was seeing a lot of inefficiencies in construction, having, you know, been in industry for almost 10 years and still seeing, you know, the same issues, the same inefficiencies, no process change. And that was when I decided to look for a construction tech startup to join and like reached out to Curtis on the brick and mortar team. He was one of those like early innovators that I connected with through a mutual startup that we were collaborating with, asking him about, you know, what were some of the interesting companies that I should have a look at and consider joining. Ended up meeting the brick and mortar team. They were looking to hire, expand the team and just got a job opportunity kind of out of the blue without knowing anything about venture capital <laughs> or investing. Um, but I knew the industry very well from the general contractor's perspective and really loved working with the technology startups from a product and product roadmap perspective. So I really kind of dive into 
a lot of the different, you know, flows of data within a construction site, like from upstream parties like architecture down to the distributors or kind of looking at, you know, internal workflows and how certain data from different parts of those workflows kind of need to be shared across different people, different companies and all that. So I was really interested in the like data and process side. Okay, cool. And how long have you been in Bricks and Mortar Ventures and what's your current role? Yeah, so I've been at Brick and Mortar for over three years now. Kind of (laughs) feels like a lot shorter and longer at the same time, but most of the time at Brick and Mortar was during the pandemic. So Mm. it was... um, Pretty easy to you know have all of these conversations just given we were already investing globally and talking to entrepreneurs from around the world. So the transition to Zoom was actually really easy. So I started my career at brick and mortar managing the deal flow, and I still do that today. So taking a lot of the first calls with the entrepreneurs and kind of doing an initial sniff test of whether or not this is something that we are interested in investing or um, whether or not they're building something interesting enough for us to have on our radar and to facilitate introductions to people in the industry. And at some point, if it makes sense to talk about, you know, what's worth investing in versus what's not, because venture investing is very different from just corporate investing. And there's like a bunch of parameters there. So I kind of sit on the team trying to help decipher, you know, which path do we want to bring some of these companies through? Mm -hmm. Um, So I managed that process on our team and then kind of more newer role for me is doing a lot more of the platform and community building. So I'm vice president of uh, platform and product strategy. So I like working with our portfolio companies on, you know, their product roadmap and stuff like that. But on the platform side, I now lead Formwork Labs, our accelerator program at Brick and Mortar Ventures. Um, We're collaborating with Built Worlds on that. And for my current role, I'm also trying to build out, you know, some of the things upcoming like, potentially internship programs or more programming around content for a portfolio. So really like sharing knowledge, connecting people so they can learn from each other. So that's kind of all become part of my role here. It sounds quite uh, diverse. And I'd say some formwork labs is something, well, since I've been connected with you, that that seems fairly recent. And you've just taken on the first cohort, is that right, of uh, companies? Yeah, super recent. We started planning for it probably like March of this year. (laughs) Launched application start, I think in April or something like that. I I can't even remember anymore. Oh no, we launched in May and then started the program in mid-June. And now we're probably not even a third through it. We're still pretty much in the early stages, but it'll culminate in the demo day happening on September 7th Mm -hmm. at the Built World US Summit. So Definitely our, our first time running it. I call it our MVP. We're getting a ton of feedback from mentors, people in and around the program, as well as the startups themselves. And the goal is that we continue to iterate and this becomes kind of a really great program for anyone interested in building anything in construction tech. Okay, sounds good. So for, for some listeners that haven't come across VCs in construction or at all, uh, can you explain what's the role of VC? And what type of founding stages do you participate in? Um, So I'll also do a quick intro on Brick and Mortar Ventures. Sure. Brick and Mortar Ventures was founded back in 2015 by our managing director, Darren Bechtel. He has angel investing experience. So he's kind of done that throughout his adult life. Got to a point where he was, you know, wanting to 
I would say be a, a lot more accountable for his investments. Um, and it's kind of, that's, that's the transitioning into an in- institutional venture capital firm. And that's, and usually to kind of, you know, be more accountable and institutionalize, you raise outside capital. And when Darren was looking back at the investments that he's made, he realized that some of the top performers were actually in construction tech. Um, so this was back in like 2015, 2016, before Procore IPO, before PlanGrid got acquired by Autodesk, really before any of the large kind of M&A exits. And he decided that to start up Brick and Mortar Ventures, he also wanted to bring in a lot of people from industry. So having that industry experience at that stage of investment could be seen as a little bit more valuable than having your typical kind of finance background, just given construction is so nuanced. It's such a relationship-based business that, you know, anyone trying to break into it, um, if you don't have any of those connections, it's actually really, really hard. So that's when he started, you know, hiring the team around him. So now we're a team of five. We invest in what we call the construction process, which starts with the design phase through pre-construction, construction, handover commissioning, and operations maintenance. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're a little bit different from PropTech because we are a lot more focused on kind of the productivity layer of building and maintaining stuff. Uh, we don't invest in like lease management or some of the other kind of aspects of um, commercial real estate. But just given where we look, we also look at supply chain, logistics, manufacturing processes. So I kind of see ourselves sitting, you know, construction tech, which is in between prop tech and industrial. So we kind of, uh, there's, there is a Venn diagram there. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets very complicated. (laughs) It does get really complicated. And I always have to explain, like, you know, we don't only invest in single family residential and commercial real estate. We also look at oil and gas, mining, civil, infrastructure, utility, industrial. Um, So like I said, it's really the process of building and maintaining stuff is what we invest in. And we do seed and series A investing, so still fairly early stage. But typically at that point in time, you already know what you're doing. You may already have a product and you're getting a lot of customer feedback. So that differentiates versus uh, former Labs, where to get into the former Labs accelerator program, a lot of the startups that have come in, like it's just the founding team and they're still trying to get a lot of customer feedback to iterate on their product and to get a sense of what they're building. Um, so brick and board ventures is later stage than the companies that we would work with at former labs. Uh, so yeah, like I said, seed and series a, which actually means something different in your part of the world versus our part of the world. So we really, really define that as writing one to $5 million checks looking for 10 to 20% ownership of a company. So there's like a whole, you know, way of calculating what is the perceived value of a company and all of that. I'm not going to get into it, but usually you'll have a conversation with your investor about how, what's the check size they're writing? What is the value they're bringing? What is the stage of the company? Mm-hmm. And then your question was... Explaining the VC role and the types of funding stages, but it sounded like you've done seed and series A anyhow. Uh, generally, the the VC's role, um, and I think in in construction tech, I want to expand on that a little bit because in construction tech, we're seeing a lot more corporate venture groups. So, like I would say, there's you know institutional VC, which is what brick and mortar is, and then there's corporate VC, which is as an example WND Ventures, which is the CVC group of DPR Construction. 
Now we're seeing a lot of large construction companies set up a corporate venture group to invest in startups. Yeah. So there is a differentiation there. And I think in construction, I, I love that we're seeing a lot of the CVCs getting involved too. And our our main role in this technology ecosystem is to fund those risky bets. And we're seeing a lot of technologies that are risky, are not very risky, and we can go into a whole kind of conversation on like what makes a technology company venture backable. Um, so just general rule of thumb, institutional VCs like us, we invest for financial returns. So we are looking for the next, you know, Facebook, Airbnb, blah, blah, you know, like the the billion dollar companies. So unicorns. companies that have the, exactly. So company that has the opportunity to become a unicorn within a six to eight year time frame. So that is a very short time frame when you look at, you know, generally like some of the largest construction companies have been operating for hundreds of years and they've grown through acquisition. I was going to say, do you think that exists that, that billion dollar unicorn company in the construction tech world, do you think that exists? I mean, we hope that there's a couple in our portfolio. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the last kind of furthest along one that could have existed is probably Level Set that got acquired by Procore. They were on they were on track to continue to grow, and you know, there's so many different reasons as to why companies get acquired versus go the IPO route. But I think there were definitely a couple in the last year or so that got acquired that had the trajectory to IPO and become a billion dollar company. Um, and there's definitely still a lot more in the pipeline right now. Like if you think about the construction industry in general, right? It's you know people say it's a ten trillion dollar market, and within that, I mean, if you just look at say steel that in itself is like you know multi-billion dollar market per year it's probably in the hundreds of billions of dollars market per year Mm -hmm. so if you're able to innovate within that and then even you know if you ended up taking over the entire steel scope of work through technology plus service that's a pretty big deal so of course, you know, it's not easy to do because construction is so regionalized, yeah. but there's definitely opportunities for some really big bets, even if you're focusing on one particular scope of work within construction. That's interesting. Yeah. And I was going to say just on that, uh, you, you kind of touched on it there with steel alone, but do you feel there's any area in construction where perhaps the opportunity is higher? Is, is it just the process that you guys focus on that you feel is, is the uh, area of opportunity or are there other areas? Maybe I'll I'll define this in a different way because usually in terms of areas of of opportunity, people kind of they try to break it down into different operational processes. So they may say like you know finance and financing, or you know insurance for construction, or they might say project management, communication. So within those areas, there's definitely still. I would say no clear winner because they're all still very early stage, right? The latest stage for some of these startups is having raised a series A or a series B. So they've still got at least five years to go to, to turn that into potentially a category winner. Um, we haven't really seen a lot of those yet, right? And, and we've seen a lot of labor marketplaces. We've seen, you know, people trying to do like upskilling, but I wouldn't say anyone has kind of taken over a majority of the market. And on the software side, uh, we've seen so much software over the last, like focus on construction in the field. We've seen a lot over the last 10 years. And even prior to that, there have been people building technologies for AEC 
that are just, you know, old antiquated softwares today, right? So software is definitely the easier stuff to build. Uh, I think where the greater opportunity is the physical side. So on the hardware and robotic side, just because we do have that growing labor shortage. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's a growing labor shortage. And then there's also a lot of people leaving construction. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so retention is a huge issue. And sadly, it's actually a lot. Oh, I don't know if it's sad. It's still kind of sad to me because I, I kind of took that route, right? I left construction. I went into investing. And I know a lot of construction people that have left and went into construction tech. Mm-hmm. In theory, I still say they're in construction and trying to help solve the construction problem. But what that leads to is like a lot less people out on the construction sites actually managing the work. And if this continues, if we continue down this path, like who's actually going to build stuff, right? Like prefab and modular isn't going to be fast enough to catch up with, I would say, like, you know, the growing need for construction. And I just kind of see this situation where we just don't have enough labor on site to build stuff and that's why we need robotics yeah mm-hmm. yeah i see it. it's kind of scary scary sorry man it's just it's quite a scary um uh fool right like I, I feel like one day it's just going to get to a point where it's almost completely unmanageable but hopefully the robot robots or the robotics should i say will come out and save the day Martin, go for it but also it's uh, like the next stage for the industry to, to move on. And it's a very old industry and hasn't moved that much. So probably, you know, 10, 15 years from now, it will be obvious that there's more robots than kind of t- particular type of labor on the market. That's, that's what I think, at least. I just want to touch on the geography and where, you, where do you guys invest most? Uh, is it US or is it other parts of the world? So we do look globally for investments. We Most of our investments have been in North America. We've made some investments in Australia and Europe. And a lot of that just having to do with most of our connections and contacts are here in the US. And the way that we look at investing is really how much value we can add to a startup when we invest. So as we continue to build out our network of industry professionals and contacts in industry globally, I think that'll allow us to be a lot more confident in investing overseas and making sure that we can really add value to those companies. Okay. Do you find any individuals in in different parts of the world, like kind of having completely different uh, ideas of way of doing things comparing to to where you are? The crazy thing is no. (laughs) Like I feel like, I would say in the U.S., it's definitely the most mature, right? Because a lot of venture capital is, you know, started here in the U.S. And and that's where the largest pool of venture capital has been. But as we continue to see more VCs expanding globally, and as we continue to see the interest in construction tech growing globally, it's almost like we're seeing the same types of companies, but just in a different region that's localized for the current region, right? So I think a lot of the... A lot of the the ideas are basically the same, but just in different locations. Yeah, I I, I get that. I think uh, a lot of the problem or, or the struggles of construction is that it's so like uh, almost bespoke to even down to the individual company that uses this technology that it's so hard for any form of standardization to come in and act like a company which focuses on the standardization to then go and like make a load of money in the construction tech scene which I guess is like a, a struggle, uh, an opportunity within itself, but also something that companies probably need to think about when they're 
maybe looking for investment or trying to grow. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how does, uh, are, are you familiar with um, like the VC markets in, let's say the UK, obviously that's where we're based. So if, if you are, it'd be interesting to see how um, like venture capital in general, it differs from the UK and the USA. And bonus point, if you can relate that to construction tech, then you're on a roll. <laughs> I'm actually a lot more familiar with construction tech rather than overall VC. So I have pretty regularly catch-ups with San Carlos Sanchez with Goldacre. So they they also run an accelerator program, ReLab. Um, and since then, I've kind of connected with a couple more folks like at PyLabs and mm-hmm. uh, Mott McDonald Digital Ventures has a good group there. So we've always looked at the UK, just given with the large HS2 project, I think there's been a lot of incentive and interest in construction tech. So when we've met with a bunch of startups over the last three years, I think a lot of them were able to get grant money from Innovate UK. I forget if it's grant or if it's just very friendly terms for investment. It's it's a grant. It's like uh, Innovate UK, funnily enough, is something that, like, well, I'm currently doing an application for, but it's oh, a cool. um, But there is a grant, but you you get funded 70% of your costs, essentially. So you have to contribute that 30%, yeah. Yeah, so we've we've loved that about the UK because with a lot of construction tech, the sales cycles tend to be longer. You know, it's it's if you're building hardware, you just need a lot more capital to do that. So it's always been a great place for us to kind of look at and to see what are the trends. And when I look at, you know, even some of the regulations around the UK when it comes to sustainability and carbon, mm-hmm. it's definitely a lot further along than any regulation that we're seeing here in the US. So it's kind of been, you know, my area of interest for looking at, you know, what's what's upcoming in sustainability. We've been tracking just startups over time and getting a sense of, you know, what regions are coming from. I think in the UK, we've actually seen less startups recently. So I don't know if there's a, I don't know what reason is for the decline. I don't know if it's Brexit. I don't know if there's, you know, macroeconomic things where it's causing less but I remember when I first joined Brick and Mortar, we were seeing a lot more UK-based startups, or maybe they're all just like mature now. And there was like this big rush to get in on some of the large jobs. No, I don't know. I'm trying to think. When did you when did you notice decline in numbers? Probably last year. So that was 2021. So that's interesting because that was like a boom here of everything. It may be a lag because we mostly look at seed and series A too. So it could be a lag in some of the numbers, right? Because we have yeah. our like startup tracking system and we look at where all the startups are and then we actually like try to look for trends over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the UK, one of the trends that I noticed was we there were just a lot less companies coming out of there. We were seeing a lot more companies coming out of around Eastern Europe. Yeah, there is a few. We've had well, even a few in the podcast recently as well, which... Which is quite big. I, yeah, I, I think Israel is that's like not Europe, but going that side of the world is like huge in content. Yeah, but Europe, Europe is is big, and the UK. I, I, I personally, but this is probably just because this is like a space I've got more involved in recently. It's seen like more companies, but now you say it, it seems like they are more mature than just like traditional scrappy like style, like kind of. Thing. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the 
timing is. And, and maybe like if you're seeing a lot more pop up now, they may start getting on our radar like next year or the year after. Yeah, you should come to the UK, come and hang out at some events and then <laughs> you'll see it. I love London. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't love it now. It's like nearly 40 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got one. Uh, so VC in construction comparing to other other industries like uh, fintech, biotech. Obviously, you don't do biotech or fintech or any other, but maybe you have friends who do uh, this type of industries in venture capital and do you know if there is any like major differences in investing in companies in construction comparing to other industries? Yes, there is definitely a big difference. And I and I almost like when I look at all the different funds out there, there's generalist funds, there's fintech funds, there's insure tech funds, there's prop tech funds, there's us construction tech, biotech. So there's all these different types of funds. And this is of course I'm a little biased because our team kind of comes from industry. And when I've looked at all the different funds, our setup, I think, is a lot more closer to, say, a biotech fund, because a lot of the times the biotech funds, they have uh, people from industry or like PhDs and like people because you're investing in like technologies that you really need, you know, the science knowledge and, and backing and understanding to actually make those investments. I wouldn't say construction is, you know, you need PhDs to invest in construction tech, but having an understanding of industry really sets you apart for investing in the space just because like selling to the ENR top 100 versus selling to like mid-tier general contractors, that's going to look very different. And then just the way that those companies run operations are going to be very different. And then understanding, saying different contract types, right? So like EPC contracts versus design build versus integrated project delivery versus design bid build. All of those in theory have very different processes for going from design through handover. And it's the little things like that, that I would say, you know, having that knowledge helps us become better investors in the construction tech space. Um, so from that perspective, I would say we're a little closer to the biotech versus, say, um, like a generalist fund that looks mostly at, and I don't want to say like social, but like direct to consumer or or some of the things that like you kind of don't really need to be an expert to invest in. That being said, like insurtech and fintech, a lot of the people who work at those funds do have some type of background in those spaces because you kind of do need to understand how existing financial institutions work or how existing insurance companies work to be able to find, you know, where are those gaps within those processes. But they do tend to be a lot more like generalist too, where they'll invest across say fintech and prop tech. And a lot of it just having to do with like financial modeling. And just generally speaking, in terms of all of the different categories, I would say it, it, I kind of break it down as like B2B versus B2C. So if it's, say fintech that's b2c that's going to look very different from how we would look at construction tech because construction tech for the most part is a lot more b2b so business to business sales but there are like certain things from looking at fintech that is more b2b where as an example like i've heard some construction tech startups saying like hey we want to be the plaid for construction so Plaid is that like integration middle layer between all of the banks and a lot of the like apps that people are using for financial trans- for financial transactions. So there are those similar types of opportunities in construction as well. So I think 
the main point is that even if we're all investing in different areas, I think there's so much learning that could be had or overlap depending on what that technology is that we actually collaborate really closely with a lot of the other funds, even if they don't like know construction. Mm -hmm. We kind of see this as this like very like perfect collaboration where if we're investing in a company that's finance, like construction financing, we would partner with more of a fintech focused fund. We would bring the construction expertise, they would bring the finance expertise, and then we can do the deal together. And that's that's kind of also the way that we work is like we we want to collaborate with everyone out there. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually wanted to just uh, touch touch back on the geographic and it, it kind of relates to what you were just explaining. But for a company based in, say, Europe, that's getting investment or investors for yourself, that's based in the US, is there like a, like a little bit of friction there? Because like the construction scene in, particularly in the UK and the US, is, is quite different. It can be, ultimately the product is the same, right? We're trying to build buildings, but the way it's done, the people involved, it's is, is all very different. So can there be a little bit of uh, friction between that process? I think it depends, right? And I know that we had a short conversation about the whole QS thing, right? So quantity surveyors, like yeah. that's always like my favorite thing to pick on when it comes to what's the difference between, you know, American construction versus anywhere outside of the US. Uh-huh. That's the difference. Yeah. So I think like it really depends on what that technology is. So as an example, like if I'm looking at project control technologies, just given my experience, I would probably be more interested in a project controls company coming from the UK versus from within the US, right? Just because I know the discipline around project controls is a lot more robust outside of the US. But at the same time, what I'm playing with is is the market ready, right? That's the big question is in US construction, we don't have project managers. We don't have, or sorry, client-side project. Well, we do have client-side project managers, but not the ones that dig as deeply into cost and schedule Mm -hmm. as what I've seen overseas. So now it's like almost this like level of detail difference, right? Like the expectations and the level of detail for some of the quantifying is different in the UK versus here in the US. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at, you know, is the US market actually ready for this like more complex process? And I don't know what the answer is, right? It's like, you know, there's so many things that change that. It's like, you know, American clients, like all the big tech companies working overseas and now increasing their expectations, coming back to the US and now demanding the US American companies to provide that same level of detail for a lot of the like financial analysis, like we're seeing stuff like that, right? So we're trying to look at, you know, those technologies, what's kind of best in class and from a regional perspective, you know, are there some of the nuances between where we expect there to be better technologies coming out of different parts of the world? And then trying to figure out, you know, is the U.S. market ready? Because I think the U.S. market is a big market and a lot of startups will talk to us and say, hey, we're raising capital to expand into the U.S., And sometimes I challenge them. I'm like, well, you know, Southeast Asia is huge and they do construction more similarly to the UK. You know, it may make more sense to expand there before coming into the US. And then there are some cases where, you know, US-based companies due to, you know, the pure simplicity and some of the way that, you know, we've emphasized on UI, um, it may make sense for, 
you know, American company in construction tech to expand overseas. So those are like all of the things that we're thinking about in terms of the differences in construction and potentially what is that like secret sauce that can make a company better depending on where they're homegrown. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so I got one. Uh, so not giving us uh, any of your secret sauce uh, in the business. I'm talking about secret sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How do you evaluate uh, founders and and companies? Is there anything that you kind of like speak to someone uh, on the first meeting, on the first call, and you you say, okay, this actually this person might have a potential to bring it somewhere, or how how does this process look like without giving out any secret sauce? Not really secret sauce because I think most investors are probably going to say something similar. I think for us, we never do one call and invest, right? I think there's, and this is maybe a difference in different investors. Like some people can build conviction very quickly. Like some people do, you know, a lot of prior market research and understand, you know, the spaces within construction tech that's really, really big. And then when they meet a founder that they, that they think is very compelling, they'll do the investment. For us, it's a little different. I think we tend to take a little bit more time just because, like I mentioned earlier in the conversation, uh, we really look at how much value we can add to the entrepreneurs that we invest in. And we usually have to gauge that over time. And it's almost this like relationship building and in, in figuring out how open is the entrepreneur to feedback um, how are they executing on some of the feedback from customers? And then when we offer up, you know, a, the opportunity to help, are they actually taking advantage of us? Right. Like that's, that all comes into the conversation, right? Because we want a partnership that lasts over time and we don't want it to be a partnership where, you know, we are getting all the value, right? We're asking questions and we're getting all this information and they're, you know, the entrepreneurs are just building a company that we're putting capital in. Um, but we also want to make sure that the entrepreneurs are comfortable with leveraging us for our expertise, our network, our connections and all that. So it's really this almost like a trust building relationship that we try to build over time while we understand, you know, the entrepreneurships or the entrepreneur's execution. And then of course we do look at, you know, market sizing, what are they building and really what is the opportunity for growth? So it's not you know, we don't just stop at, you know, oh, you're building a project management tool. Like, yes, we know what project management is, but we try to go one level deeper, just having that industry experience. We want to go one level deeper to understand, like, what is all the data that you guys are leveraging? You know, what are all the integration opportunities? And if we continue to expand, say, maybe two to three steps beyond what you're building, what are all of those different paths that this company could potentially go down, right? So, as an example, a company may start in, say, you know, the bid management space, right? But if we look a couple steps beyond, you know, are you going to get into estimating as well? Are you going to get into proposals? Like construction is like this one huge process where you need data flow between like everything that we really like kind of digging into that with the entrepreneurs to understand like we're all of the opportunities and then that informs us on, you know, what could be the best go-to-market strategy for what they're building. Cool. And just, just looking at time, I'm conscious of time. I feel like we could talk about this for ages, <laughs> but we have to move swiftly on. And um, like last question on this subject really is, and it's looming on everyone's shoulders is about this like uh, tough time ahead in terms of investing and the economy. Is there anything that's uh, 
any maybe insights or opinion that, that you have on what might be coming and anything that perhaps you're putting in place to uh, prepare yourself? I'm I'm a pretty optimistic person and I can't say I live through the like housing crisis here in the US because I was in high school when that happened. <laughs> but I know from talking to a lot of people who have gone through that, the biggest takeaway is that construction is pretty resilient. And I'm saying like construction in general, right? Um, and having worked in Singapore and then now talking to some of the folks that do government contracts, like a lot of the times when private spending and construction stops, the public projects will come online. Of course, there's a little bit of gap, but usually that's how the governments handle stimulus and to make sure that, you know, such a large part of the economy is still going. So when I look at construction in general, right, you see a lot of cyclical up and downs, but if it's like total construction spend, it's pretty consistent. So what that means for us is at least from the construction technology side, as long as the startups have diversified between public and private clients, they should be able to weather the storm pretty well. So if they're able to continue to grow and get revenue, this should help them kind of you know, get through to the other side where, you know, the funding has been pretty slow right now. We've been continuing to invest. And I think a lot of the built world focused funds have just closed their funds. So there's definitely capital to deploy, but I think it depends on at what stage of the startup as well. So if you're like seed in series A, there's probably a lot of capital there left for you still right now. Um, if you're doing series B, series C, which is a little bit later on, and you're no longer raising from just the built world funds, and you're now raising from funds and kind of competing against other startups from other industries, I think that is a little bit challenging right now. So those types of companies are trying to decrease burn and try to get to you know when capital starts flowing into the space again. But I would say, yeah, just given construction is so resilient I would say we're going to see, we're still going to see investment in construction. And what we've seen over the last couple of years is that there's a lot more generalist investors interested in construction. There's a lot more LPs interested in construction. And this is a space where I think people are starting to realize, given during the pandemic, construction was an essential, essential business. And people are now realizing what big of an industry it is and how important it is for like our daily lives. That with this bigger emphasis on construction, I'm pretty optimistic that, you know, we'll still continue to see construction tech startups pop up around the space and we're still investing. So hopefully, you know, on the later stage side, um, those startups can kind of figure out how to, you know, extend runway for a little bit. And then once there's a lot more capital, I think we're just going to continue to grow. Okay, sounds good. Okay, should we move to off topic? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so so mine would be uh, outside of work and family. How do you allocate your time? What's your thing to do? So I like hanging out with my friends. I would say because I travel so much now, my quote unquote free time is either hanging out with my friends or sitting on my couch and watching TV. Just because like my brain just gets frazzled by the end of it. I just need to be like a vegetable <laughs> on my couch. <laughs> Sounds good. So being a vegetable is, is what you spend your time doing outside of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I like it. That's different. What would you say is, do you know what? It's like a bit of a cliche question, but I was listening to a, a podcast by uh, Laurie Santos. I don't know, maybe you're familiar with her. She, she done, uh, I, I believe she done the course 
on Coursera or, or something like that. With, it was like my uh, well-being, the course of well-being or something like that, mindfulness. Um, and she was talking a lot about like fulfillment and happiness. And is there something that you, you feel is like your key to that? Something along those lines? Well, I work out every day or I try to work out every day. Um, so I think that really helps with my like mental wellness. <laughs> so I don't know if that's the question that you're asking, but it turns out. Yeah, that's life, good. That's great. Fulfillment in life. <laughs> that's what he meant. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> it's a great thing to do. It's like the one hour or however long that you're just in like your own little zone. Nothing else matters outside of the gym. No, and I was really asking you, do you do you meditate five hours in the morning? <laughs> I feel like everyone meditates these days, but I I can't. Maybe I don't have the mental capacity to meditate, but I've tried it, and my brain is always like somewhere. Like I'm always there's there's always thoughts, right? So maybe this is like a full other thing that I need to dig into. But I've tried meditating. I can't get into it. It's really hard for me. So maybe maybe I need a coach for that. Yeah, so maybe you are in this ADHD club as I am because I, I really struggle with like focusing on just one thing, meditating. Well, actually not focusing on anything during meditation. Yeah, but that's that's what it counteracts, right? That's why you do it. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, Alice, where can we where where can our listeners find out more about you? Yeah, I think the easiest place is probably on LinkedIn. Um, I also recently started a blog called For the Love of Construction, uh, or it's For the Love of Construction Tech. I don't even remember it right now. <laughs> um, but the link is loveconstructiontech.substack.com. And I've been like posting some of that on LinkedIn. So I'm trying to get into this habit of writing down a lot of the thoughts around industry because the construction tech space is continuing to grow and we're getting a lot more people interested in the space. And I thought it was a great idea to kind of solidify a lot of those thoughts and help kind of share and scale that across a lot of the people who are interested. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Bricks and Bytes podcast. If you are enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And we'll catch you in the next episode.